Episode 9, The Importance of Strength with Kevin Don. You're listening to the Live, Live, Play podcast. Hey guys, welcome to the Live, Live, Play podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Kinsler, and today, episode nine, we have our re- pretty much resident strength expert, uh, Kevin Don, is on the show for, I think, uh, we've including FSMRX, I think it's fourth time, fifth time, I think, I, four or five times on the show, most, uh, most comebacks uh, on uh, any of my podcasts that I've done. Uh, Kevin. Thank you for being on the show. Thank you, Stephen. Good to see you again. Yeah. So for people that don't know, I'm not going to go into Kevin's history, but the man has pretty much traveled the world. He's done seminars and workshops all over the world on strength. He's worked with some of the best uh, athletes uh, in the world and on the CrossFit realm. And uh, I think you have worked with some lifters as well, haven't you? That's right. Yeah. Power lifters predominantly. Yeah. And Kevin is a wealth of knowledge. And not only that, he's focused on youths as well for, for a while. Uh, he's helped develop some of the, the, the content on the Brand X seminars, which is, again, if you've been to the seminars, you know it's good quality stuff. So uh, today, we're not gonna go into Kevin's history or what Kevin uh, is, but we're gonna ask some very kind of uh, specific questions to Kevin and try and get as much of uh, his expertise out of him in a short relative time. So, Kevin, uh, the first question that we have for you is, why is strength or why would strength programming be so important for the general population? Okay, so what I want to do is I want to address this, first of all, in two ways. So the way I've spoken about this in the past and the way that most people are familiar with it being spoken about would be the 10 general physical skills. So if you've got anybody listening in that's, that's been doing CrossFit, you got these 10 physical skills, um, strength, speed, power, agility, coordination, balance, and so on and so forth. So these are not anything which were, were devised by CrossFit. These were actually devised by a company called Dynamax that you may have heard of. They make the balls for the wall balls, yes. right? Um, so it was the, the two owners there, Jim Cowley and Bruce Evans, first defined these 10 physical skills. So normally we talk about general physical preparedness in terms of the ability of someone to express competency in 10 general physical skills. And we talk about strength being the most general of those physical skills. So I want to talk about it in a different way and think about this in terms of um, contractions and contraction types. So the way I'd see that strength is important to general populations. First of all, we have to identify what strength is. Strength is going to look like something different, actually, for everybody. So we've got a continuum which is going to progress from really simple things to more and more complex things or things that are happening at a different rate of contraction, slow to fast. So on one side, we've got what we would call motor control. So strength is going to be extremely important to the development of motor control, and motor control itself will be important to general populations because it's how they're going to be able to express themselves in space with good movement without the potential for exposing themselves to injury. Because we know it may not be that we can pin and say 100% 
that bad movement causes injury because we can't, but we can say that bad movement is correlated with increased injury potential. So strength is gonna be important because it's gonna allow the development of motor control. Now, I know that you have a brand X center there, so we can use some brand X language here, which is movement gaps. Yeah. So we got in terms of youth and also in terms of adults, um, we've got movement gaps in that there are primordial movement patterns that should be natural for human beings that due to human sedentary development, maybe relationship between sitting down at work and that kind of thing all day, we're seeing an inability to express gross motor patterns. So if we think about that, a simple example from a coaching point of view is how many times we see clients coming in and we ask them to perform a simple movement such as the squat. And what we see is the very first thing is that their knees shoot forwards and at the bottom of the squat, we have their heels off the ground. That is an inability to express a gross motor pattern called the bend or the hinge. Yeah. So <clears throat> strength will be important for developing motor control, which is their ability to move through these gross motor patterns and to fill in these movement gaps. After that, then, you know, we move on from motor control after that to, to what we call muscular endurance. And there's lots of ways that people could define that. The way I'm defining it is we want to see you being able to continue to express good motor control as you're becoming more and more tired. Things are not falling apart. So it's easy to teach someone how to hold, you know, an isometric or, or a static position in terms of an air squat. But then once we start to ask them to move more quickly, then we begin to see things degrade in terms of motor control. So this would mean to me that this person needs to work on muscular endurance. So these are all aspects of strength, and they build up towards what we would call maximal contraction, which is absolute strength, which is what people think about most often when they think about strength, a single heavy squat, single heavy bench press or deadlift. It's what we call maximal contraction. <clears throat> maximal contraction, as we'll come on to talk about later, may or may not be right for general population to be doing. However, all these different aspects of strength all build together to allow someone to express themselves through other things that they might want to do. For example, a movement that you might not consider strength, something like a wall ball, is actually an aspect of strength. It's called speed strength. You can't express speed strength unless you can express strength speed. You can't express strength speed if you don't have absolute strength. Absolute strength is built upon strength endurance, which is built upon muscular endurance, which is built upon what we've just been talking about, motor control. So everything that you could do in, in a GPP, general physical preparedness setting, however you want to label it, is pretty much gonna come back to your ability to express strength safely which is something like motor control. So strength is therefore extremely important to general population clients because it's what's going to allow you to express contractions in various metabolic pathways. So that could be moving slow steady state like in an aerobic condition or moving an unsustainable state such as glycolytic, um, which probably general population shouldn't be doing anyway, which again we'll talk about in a little while um, because is just creating a, a stress situation, which is not good or purposeful for general health. But all of these things are built upon strength. So therefore, strength is extremely important for general populations. Um, 
and then like so pretty like so the basis of as you said if you get starting with a motor control and then you're leading to everything else that equates to that uh to getting yeah. you stronger but then the stronger you get the better you can perform speed strength and spend, uh, strength speed so is pretty much everything has its place it's just and i'm assuming that it just depends on the individual and the goal but one of the kind of the questions that i would then lead to the question i'd lead to next is when it comes to the general population and regardless whether they're crossfit or they're into like powerlifting or olympic lifting or any sort of just uh, strength and conditioning we see and like i've seen i know you, you you've definitely seen it uh is people are massively concerned about their one rms and they're massively concerned about um going into bigger higher skilled movements but for me it's just because you can doesn't mean you should and where would kind of as the coach because like again you've you've worked with an awful lot of coaches throughout the years like the top in the field and you've coached coaches that are up and coming what would you kind of say to them in regards to their client wants to do one rms but it's not a necessary aspect to their goal or the grand scheme of things in regards to having living a good quality of life i think the most important thing is that you've got to understand that program design isn't dependent upon what your client wants Program design is dependent upon what your client can express. Yes. Right? So, okay, if they could want to be doing a maximal contraction or want to be doing strength speed work, and that's fine. It's not to say that they won't get to that point. But first of all, we have to realize what they can express currently. Now, if we're looking at a client moving, and I said like this brand X language again, movement gaps, they don't know how to perform a simple squat pattern and they don't know how to perform a, a bending pattern, then they should not be programmed right now for a goal of performing a one rep max snatch. Yeah. Because first of all, they can't express the movement because they don't have the motor control. Yeah. And second of all, they cannot express a one rep max because they are so far away from their maximal physical potential that their central nervous system cannot recruit enough motor units in order to do that type of contraction. So like part of building up strength is not just building up this physical thing where we're breaking tissue down and building it up again. It's also training of the central nervous system because your muscles can only fire when these electrical signals get to them from synapses firing in the brain. Yeah. And that's a training process in and of itself, which takes time. So yes, we may have clients that want to get stronger and want to perform one rep maxes, but their central nervous system simply cannot express those type of contractions and cannot recruit enough muscle in a singular contraction at one time in order to express what we would call true max. Yeah. Most clients are, are, might not even ever get to that because we have a life cycle of strength. So we, we got to progress people through that. Now, the very first thing when people come in the door, of course, you should be having some kind of consultation and assessment with your clients. Whether or not you're in an individual design scenario or you're in a general setting, you've still got to assess where people are at because you can't have people coming in that don't have motor control, muscular endurance, absolute strength, and come in and expect them to safely express 
strength speed or speed strength because it won't happen and it will be correlated with potential for injury. So what we need to do is we need to assess where these people are at. So if I was going to say to coaches about program design, well, the first thing is you need to figure out, yes, we need to figure out what their goal is because that will determine how training is going to go. But the current program design has to be um, based upon assessment and consultation. If someone simply cannot express something like an air squat safely, and we've got all sorts of flexion going on throughout the spine, and we've got internal rotation of the hip and the knees are collapsing, then we're going to have to put those people through a different type of progression than we would do someone that's coming in that's been you know, a high school track athlete who has built up years and years of different types of explosive contractions. Those people will have a different program design from someone that's just walking in off the street. So the first thing is you need to be able to identify these. You're going to have to run people through assessments of motor control, and it's going to have to work through different areas. So we're going to have to assess things like their core strength because everything that we're doing, and CrossFit have the same language, right? Um, they talk about core to extremity. Um, I refer to it as proximal to distal. But simple, everything has got to start from the middle and work its way outwards. If you don't have a base of core strength, you can't do anything outside your core because you don't have anything to build this upon. That's why, again, in, in Brand X, the first thing that we're teaching in the um, movement patterns for strength for youth is how to brace. Yeah. Because that ability to create rigid isometric contraction throughout your core and hold that is absolutely essential to building strength and layering things on top. So proximal to distal is going to be very important. And then, yeah, other assessments that you're going to do, whether or not they can do single leg, like a, a hip split, so a lunging pattern, a squatting pattern, a bending, a pushing, a pulling, all of these things will be very important to program design. And if we don't know where people are currently at, we can't possibly take them to where they want to go. One story I've got about this, which you may have heard me talking about before, is the actual etymology, etymology of the word coach. So it's actually the name of a town in um, Hungary. And um, in the 19th century, they were building wooden wheeled cars, which were known for their high quality of build and were really safe in the life. And it was called the cart of Kochi. Okay, so that's the name of the town, Coach, K-O-C-S. And um, so the etymology of the word coach is basically that you're taking people on a journey from point A to point B, and it happens in the safest and most reliable manner. So in order for you to be a coach, you're going to have to figure that out. You're going to have to figure out what's the starting point. And you're going to do that through assessment of movement. You're going to have to figure out what's the ending point, right? What's their actual goal? And then the journey itself is going to be you taking into consideration in program design, what type of contractions they can currently express and how you're going to layer those together moving forwards to get the client to their end goal. That's being a coach. If you're yeah. not doing that, you're not even respecting what the word even means. <laughs> um, so <clears throat> I know it, you would see it more, and I, I'd say we would be a fault at this as, as well. Uh, but you'd see it more in the kind of the, the CrossFit kind of style is that anyone can train at any time with any group of people, and you can teach anything to them. Now, we disagree with that uh, from being a brand X medit. Uh, center because we won't teach Olympic weightlifting to our kids until they can show like and it takes about at least a year and a half two years before we let a kid attempt a high skill movement and we develop racing and we work on 
Again, motor patterns are key for literally everything we do on a daily basis. Uh, and then just basic like tumbling and like bracing and planking and everything else. Farmers carries the basic strength work uh, that we can put uh, a kid through without actually having to put a lot of stress on their body with high skill repetition in regard like any sort of Olympic lifting or kipping motions, kipping pull-ups or toes to bar that you see all the time. Um, but when it comes to youths, and again, you've done the, 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 the Brand X seminars. Uh, I, like, when my next question is, and this is something now, I don't know an awful lot from the other aspect of being a sports-specific strength coach for a specific sport, but I personally wouldn't agree with training someone under the age of 17 or 16 to 17 years on a sport specific sport because generally they're kind of overloading the same muscles. I think doing a basic strength cycle of working on the primary lifts would be more beneficial to them, not necessarily their sport, but to them long with longevity in mind. Um, so where would you, I know you're nodding your head there, but like, uh, so general strength versus uh, sport specific programming for youths, where would you kind of, rest your hat on that so personally yeah i think that it's a it's a very nuanced situation i think that the answer is and this is where it becomes frustrating for people is i think it depends so you know there's, there's a lot of times where what we're seeing is we see parents putting children into sport specific scenarios to get better at sport however those children themselves probably aren't going to actually excel at that sport yeah right so this is the thing it's like again it comes down to what's appropriate and what can be expressed currently so if this you know i i grew up doing doing martial arts right and there was, there was other kids the same age as me that were doing martial arts but you know they weren't the same right yeah. we weren't all the same really but we're all doing the same thing and it's because you know some kids are really into that sport maybe some are are developmentally ahead of others some just have genetic characteristics which make them better maybe hormonally they're a bit different at that point in time um and some other kids just mentally they've just been dropped off by their parents basically for a babysitting session mm. right so whether or not those kids should be doing sports specific work probably not because first of all they're not able to express that and second of all they're not actually going to excel at this sport anyway right so that's the thing is like Whilst we said earlier on that strength is extremely important to general physical preparedness, and we could say strength is a very general skill, the paradox about this is that strength is also specific. So if we have novices coming into us, and those novices are uh, lacking in motor control, as we've mentioned already a lot of times today, or these gross motor patterns, then absolutely strength work is going to be the most important thing they can do. Yeah. Because going to help them to we've got this fancy word myelination which is just basically the laying and reinforcing and establishment of motor patterns and pathways um, then it's going to be important for them to repeat this kind of myelination work because children and interestingly females which we can talk about as well as a general population thing um, don't get stronger in the same way that that males do because neuromuscular efficiency they're not able to express that they're on a completely different hormonal profile they've probably got one one hundredth of the testosterone of a male so they, they don't get stronger in the same way this is where it comes down to like talking about template design for general population and also for youths is that 
Um, males and females don't get stronger in the same way. So if we go into a class and it's go three by five on a back squat, yeah. at whatever percentage, first of all, since those athletes probably don't have the, new, uh, the, the central nervous system capacity to express a max, percentage of what? Right? Because they don't have a true max anyway. And the next thing is males and females should be training differently. If you look at CrossFit, the old joke was that CrossFit turns women into men and men into women, right? And if you look at it and you just look at the physique types, we do have a lot of very muscular females. Yes. And then we've got the males. Yes, they are looking quite muscular, but they're typically maybe only 10 kilos heavier than the females. They're not big guys. Yeah. And that's because the type of training that we see going on is actually high repetition at submaximal load, which is how children mm -hmm. and also females are getting yeah. stronger because in the absence of that, um, that hormonal profile, that chemical storm, then basically what we're looking at is hypertrophy work. Right, and it's loads and loads of repetitions, myelinating pathways, and building the what we call the cross-sectional diameter, the size of the muscle, because muscular size is the number one predictor of potential for force output or strength. So, whether or not children should be doing sport-specific versus general population depends on their ability to express what is required. Now, if we look at something like a sport, I know that you deal a lot with basketball, for example. Yeah. I'd say I, I met some basketball coaches in Iceland um, last year, and they were talking to me about getting their youths loaded jumping. And, you yes. know, I think that's, that's a bit crazy. It's also irresponsible. Because mm. what we see, especially with females, for example, if we look at um, the, the biggest thing we could see is like an ACL injury, specifically a non-contact ACL injury. They haven't been hit in some way, you know, in rugby or something like that. And what we see is that, Normally, we could put that down to things like what's called the angle of Q, which is like, you know, the, the way their femur hangs out the pelvis because of the width of the pelvis in females. Now, children and youth, as we know, they don't have that pelvic width development yet. But there is another thing which comes into ACL injuries, and it's called the intercondylar fossa. So if you can picture in your head the, uh, what a femur looks like, the thigh bone. And at the very end of the thigh bone, there's these kind of two bumps, round bumps, yeah, right, at the end of a bone. If you just think how you would draw a cartoon bone. And those two bumps are called the condyles. You've got a medial and a lateral, or an inner and an outer side to the condyles. And then the middle of it is called the intercondylar fossa, that kind of dip or gap, uh, sometimes called intercondylar notch. And passing through that notch there and attached in there is the ACL, the PCL, and the posterior popliteal. Now, in females of all ages, that gap or that notch is smaller and it's closer together. That means that the head of the femur there is not able to absorb impact in the same way and it can fracture and break. And also the ligaments passing through there are like squeezed into a smaller gap and yes. they're, they're also easier to rupture in that sense. So when we look at children, we probably shouldn't be giving them impact or plyometrics. Because plyometrics is the ability to create force, stop force, and then recreate it again. So if they don't have the ability to create force and then stop force, which we call maybe agility, yeah. that's a type of strength. So if they don't have strength, they shouldn't be doing plyometrics because they could maybe 
end up with some kind of injury to ACL. Well, so that's again why general strength is going to be very important to them because they have to develop some kind of strength through the femur. Now, bones, according to Wolf's Law, respond to the load under which they are placed. The only way you can make these bones stronger, really, is either with impact or with um, vertical loading, what we call compression. And compressive forces are going to be placed upon the femur in the squat. So therefore, we just come back again to what we said at the beginning, that strength training is going to be important. So it depends. Youth training, sport-specific or general, it depends. But I think in, if we look at most youth training, right, yeah. we're, we're looking at general population that have been pushed into sport by their parents versus an elite sport-performing population. So therefore, strength training and general training, filling in movement gaps, developing motor control, then layering on things like muscular endurance on top of that, once they have you know, that motor control established and locked in, that is going to be more important for them than doing anything more sport-specific. Because if you're jumping and you're doing knee valgus, which is where your knees are collapsing and your hips are internally rotating, again, there's no causation that we can pin and say this 100% causes injuries, but there's lots of studies that correlate the things together. Yeah. What we don't want to do is we don't want to say, okay, we know that you do valgus when you're jumping, but jumping is important for your sport, so go and do a thousand jumps. Because well, volume of bad movement is just volume of bad movement. Well, that's one thing that I, I actually, actually got stumped on because I was training some girls uh, with bad knee mechanics and we started working on like lunging patterns, squat patterns, jumping patterns. And we were getting very solid in their jump. But then they'd come back and it's like, my knees were at me. And I'm like, okay, well, what's going on? And what's going on? And then I realized as soon as you put a ball in their hand, they automatically switch back mm. when they shoot. But if I got no ball, jump, jump land, perfect landing. Everything looks yeah. good. But as soon as they grab the ball, brain just tells them to go back to their old thing. Uh, so then we have to start teaching them to jump with the ball in their hand. Yeah, because just just because it doesn't wander on the court, no matter what I did with them in the gym, it would change. It was it was actually quite a little bit crazy. And then the rate of injuries. Now I know it's happened in Ireland through the roof. Uh, the last camp I was at, I think half of the kids within the last year had an injury out of forty something kids, and these are from sixteen down. Like, oh yeah, we've all had injuries. I'm like, that's not shouldn't be normal, but kind of is now acceptable. Um, so yeah, it's, I just, yeah, it's a bit crazy, but like going back to the basics of, does it look good? Do you move well? Would Trump, I think the other stuff going forward, um, well, like, the, like, like the, what the you problem, said. Yeah, the problem is that, um, and you, one of the questions I know we're gonna get onto and talk about is negative fitness trends, but one of the thing is the fact that, that people now, because of the, the work of companies like CrossFit, who made an arbitrary decision that they were basing fitness upon your ability to be intense, now assume that you've got to scale for intensity all the time. When most people, and we'll come on to talk about this, don't require intensity because it doesn't make any sense for them. Um, so it's like that's the thing is when we've got people wanting to move quickly, and that's one thing you're, you're giving an example there of, yeah, you saw your, your, your athletes there had great movement, but when you gave them a ball, we saw bad movement. And that was because their, their goal and their intent changed. 
because their intent was no longer to create good movement. Their intent was sport-specific. And this is the thing. What we do see more injuries in sport-specific settings than we do see in training settings. Because in a sport-specific setting, you have to be willing to give up good movement in order for performance of a goal. And that's what we see in CrossFit gyms all the time. You can say whatever you want about it's you versus you. But as soon as you write up a whiteboard with everybody else's name on it, you're a liar. Because it's now you with everybody else. Right? You can't say one thing and do another because that means you have no integrity. Right? Or you just don't have any capacity for critical thought and don't even understand what you're saying. Yeah. Right. As soon as you start writing times on a whiteboard, you've introduced competition. As soon as you've introduced competition, this is no longer training. It's now performance. And now that it's performance, people are going to give up good movement in order for the acquisition of a win. Because that's how the human ego works. Yes. So like you saying, you see, as soon as you gave them a ball, okay, my task is now to score a point here. We saw a bad movement in coming in. As soon as you say five rounds for time, that's what we're going to see. We're going to see five rounds for time. We're not going to see five rounds as good as you can. Yeah. Right? And this is the problem. Um, yeah. Uh, so, again, moving on to the next one. I, I think I, I skipped um, one question, which is what movement should, in your opinion, for a general population, what movement should people be focusing on when it came to a strength or any sort of program? Would you be kind of like your, your prime? I know we kind of actually kind of already hit it with like with the squat and stuff, um, squat yeah, pattern, hinge like pattern. Yeah, I could, I'd like to go into that a little bit. So, yeah, I think that there should be like a, a core, uh, it should be squat, bend, lunge, push, pull. Um, yeah. But on top of that, I mean, again, asking me what, what should each person be doing? And the answer again is it depends, right? So it depends where they are in our life cycle and mm -hmm. also depends where they are in terms of training age and um, chronological or biological age. Yeah. So if we're looking, let's say, at um, aging populations, their requirements are going to be different from that of younger cohorts. Mm -hmm. So if we take people like, we couldn't really put a number on it again because people are experiencing aging at different stages. But once we start to pass a certain point, we're no longer going to be able to acquire excellence in performance. And what we're looking for is just resistance of a decline. Yeah. And for most clients, that's the case. Most people are not coming in looking for excellence of performance. They're looking because they're beginning to see that they're, they're, they're gaining uh, more body fat. Mm -hmm. They're beginning to see that they're losing muscle mass they're not sleeping as well at night and all this kind of stuff. And what we've got is, so the first thing is it's a couple of Latin words. The first one is sarcopenia. So this is where as we're aging, retaining muscle mass is a very costly endeavor for your body. It's a high cost thing because it takes so many calories and it's just a big endeavor for you to go through. So as we're aging, we're kind of keeping that energy for other processes in our body and we're shedding muscle mass. That in itself leads to other problems because without those muscles supporting the ligaments and the joints, we begin to see obviously joint problems creeping in in older people. We also see that if your muscles are getting smaller, then think about your ability to control your body in space. It diminishes. And then what we're seeing is, you know, people tripping and falling over and that kind of thing. And then that is a big risk when it's paired with the next Latin term, which is osteopenia which is loss of bone mineral density. 
also something which happening as we're aging is that the bones are getting more brittle. Now we've got um, it's 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 a situation which goes hand in hand with scar sarcopenia because again, like I said, if you trip and fall over because of lack of motor control because you you've got smaller muscles now, not as many motor units um, because motor units decrease as we're aging then again, we're going to fall over. And what's the most common thing we're seeing is like injuries to the neck of the femur in the hip. Yeah. And uh, it's just all loss of this, this bone mineral density and muscle mass. Also, we've seen things like, you know, um, body fat increasing and insulin resistance and so on. What we'd call metabolic syndromes. And um, those metabolic syndromes, such as older people, sense nutrients differently. So if you took, you know, 40 grams of whey, as, as a younger person, as an older person to have the same muscle protein synthesis event, you might have to take 60 grams of whey. These are not exact numbers, they're just an example. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you have to take a, a larger dose in order to have the same response. And because most people aren't doing that, that's contributing to the loss of the muscle mass. Okay, so these are things we call metabolic syndromes, which are being off, off um, set by the medical community, by what we call polypharmacy, which is, again is just multiple medications. Yes. So you see people on blood pressure medications and um, people on medication for their, their osteoporosis or osteopenia and so on and so forth. And you're on a medication to offset the side effects of another medication. So strength training is gonna be very important in the sense that we can help those people to overcome those things. So if we're talking about sarcopenia, which is as the aging population is, is getting older, we're seeing a decrease in, in muscular density, then those people shouldn't be doing one rep maxes yes. for the simple reason that that's not how you build muscle, yeah. right? We need to be in a hypertrophy rep range, yeah. right? And again, that'll be specific to the individual, but what we need to do with these clients is we need to increase the size of the muscle. And the only way we're gonna do that is larger rep ranges, lighter loads, higher time under tension. So we might see things like tempo training for older populations, just like I wouldn't give tempo training to younger populations because of the same reasons. And you're gonna take them through the movements that are gonna have the biggest bang for your buck because what we're looking for is reinforcement of motor control. They're not gonna be doing maximal contractions in their 60s. Yeah. They need to be doing motor control and muscular endurance. That's it. So I might not even give them things like a barbell deadlift from the floor. It might be a Romanian deadlift because they need to just reinforce the hinge or the bending pattern. So what movements they should be doing should be something, again, that the coach is going to have to think about. What is my client able to um, express right now? Yeah. And what is it that I want them to express? Because if they're in their 60s and you're wanting them to express a two-minute fran, there is a problem, right? Because they can't express that contraction and it is not appropriate to their goal in any way. They should be working motor control, muscular endurance, so tempo training and that kind of thing. But what we need to take into consideration, if we come back to what I mentioned earlier on about compressive forces, there's three types of forces which are going on. We've got compression, we've got tension, and the third one is moment. Moment takes into consideration the six different types of torque, which is internal and external rotation, flexion, extension, adduction, and abduction. Now, <clears throat> tension is resisted by soft tissues. So if you think about hanging from a pull-up bar, that's where gravity is pulling your body long. 
Yes. That's yeah. tension and it's being resisted by muscles, ligaments, and tendons. So therefore, to have a healthy training program, you're going to have to give some element of tension. Also, you're going to have to give an element of compression, which we already said earlier on that in terms of resisting osteopenia, which is loss of bone mineral density, the bones are subject to Wolf's Law, which is that they're responding to the stress under which they're placed. We need to put them under vertical loading compressive forces. And that's going to be things like a barbell overhead press and things like the squat because that's where we're loading you from top down. So compression, think about gravity making your body shorter. That's being resisted by hard tissue, bones. And then tension is where your body's being pulled long, and that's being resisted by muscles. So we need to have these two elements in a program in order for general clients to get better. So again, like I said, I would just look at it in terms of, of these type of movement patterns. Am I giving them compression? Am I giving them tension? Am I giving them motor control? And then am I, am I respecting what they're able to express right now and then where they want to go? Because some people, things will be like uh, accessory or remedial and other people that will be performance-based. So for example, if we take a triathlete, for them, the barbell back squat will not be something that will be included in a performance-enhancing way in the sense that they're not going to build up to a maximal contraction yeah. because them having a 200-kilo squat is not useful to them performing their sport. However, them learning better motor control, having some strength endurance, and building um, better control of their central nervous system and motor units absolutely will be useful. So what someone whose goal is to do a triathlon, they may be using the back squat, but they're going to use it in a very different way from a power lifter. Yes. That's not, yeah, so they're both doing the same movements, but they're using them in a completely different way. One's using them for muscular and strength endurance, the other one's using them for maximal contraction. So movements, again, like we have gone down a big one there, but it's just, it depends. Yeah. And I, like, I know that he, I just said the age groups, the different categories, depending on what people are looking for. And I suppose as a coach, and I would probably be the next, uh, I'll skip a question and come back to the trend one. Uh, as a coach, like you said, you've worked, you've, you've worked with some of the best lifters, best coaches in the world. You've traveled the world. Um, and then I think you've given the advice. Well, I like, yeah, I would, I would give to a trainer is like every client has to be treated based on who they are, their age on what they can, as you say, express in regards to movement based off what their goal is. And then at some point you might have to be, that type of coach or a good coach and go, your goal is not in line with what is needed for you for optimal health. Cause at the end of the day, it's not about your two minute front time. It's about like, as we, as like I, we, I've heard it before, but we say here, everything we try to design inside of FSM is to help you live your life outside. You're not coming here for that one hour to be the ultimate beast. You're doing this. So you can have a really nice life, like go, like go do hiking and running, or if you want to be a triathlete or do your first 5K, I'm trying to make you strong and healthy enough to go do that at any given time. Um, and again, depending on the person and the age, you're looking at that. But like, what would you, like, if you've already covered it, you can say you've already covered it, but what would you give to an aspiring coach in any field um i know it, if that's broad but let's say it's the strength and conditioning crossfit kind of 
field of the fitness industry? Well, first of all, is that you have to be able to be able to say to yourself, like, what is the intent of what's going on here? Yeah. And be able to think critically about it. I think like a big problem that we've got is that we're talking about everybody's an individual. Now, Mark Ripito has got this thing where he's, you know, you are not a special snowflake, but we are. Everybody is because everybody's unique and different. Your anthropometry is different. You know, your hormonal profile, your intent, your goals, your ability to express contractions is all different. So the thing is, you have to be able to say to yourself, what does this person need? Now, the true gift about being a good coach is being able to get the client to want to do what they need. Right? Because that's the thing. It was always, we've all been there where we say, okay, this is what you need. And they go, but that's not what I want to do. Yeah. You know? But if you weigh 400 pounds and you're coming and you're telling me that you want to do kipping handstand push-ups, you know, I, I've got to say, sorry, you're not ready to express that. Yeah. You might never be ready to express that. But that's not good coaching. Because all they're going to do is they're going to walk out the door. They're going to have had a crap time. They're going to feel unhappy. And they're going to go to another gym that's going to allow them to do that. Right. Yes, exactly. So it's how, how we can think about ourselves and analyze our own ability and our own communication skills to be able to get the client to want what it is that they need. That's, that's probably the hardest and most tricky thing about coaching. And also think about your environment because our, our environment is going to shape what we're going to be able to do with the client. Because if you are working in a CrossFit gym and you know that individualization is the best way to go, well, there's a big problem here because it can't be done in that setting, mm. right? That's not to say, though, that you cannot individualize the group process. Now, I, I don't think it's optimal, but it can absolutely be done. You can take the workout of the day and you can say, right, you're going to do this and you're going to do this and you're going to do this and you're going to do this. But of course, that all comes down to education. Yeah. The biggest problem I, I see with that is that there's no return on investment for coaches. So, you know, as a coach, you could go and you could spend thousands of dollars doing the OPEX CCP, which is a phenomenal course. The problem is when you come back to the gym, you're still going to get paid $20 an hour for teaching the class. So there was no return on investment. So what's, what's pushing coaches on to want to be better is a big problem. And that comes from the top down. You know, there's got to be some kind of a point where the gym owners are, are able to give some kind of return on investment for continuing education. Otherwise, as a gym owner, you know, you just end up with a bunch of automatons that show up and just start a clock, right? And that's it. This is a big problem. So it's how, how to overcome that is, is an issue as well. But yeah, I mean, like talking about, you know, having worked with athletes and things like that, I think it's another big problem we see is that all people have, have a, a, a tendency to fall into judging their world according to logical fallacies. They use them in arguments and things like that all the time. The, the biggest one here related to sport that I see is what's called the voice from authority fallacy, right? Whereas people go, I'm going to go to a Dmitry Klokov seminar and I'm going to come back snatching like Dmitry Klokov. No, you're not, right? And this is the thing is that people are very likely, and that's not to say that people won't learn things at a Klokov seminar because I know people that have been and enjoyed themselves, but it's to say that maybe you would have a better outcome if you, if you got yourself a coach rather than watching some videos of guys that are on a gram of testosterone a week on YouTube, 
right? Because that's not going to help you develop yourself healthily and in the long term. And it's not appropriate for what you can express right now. So I think the thing about coaching athletes is realize that they're athletes and they're genetic outliers. And um, what they're doing is what they're doing and that it won't work for you. Yes. Right? I'm not going to go and do the Ronnie Coleman bicep program and get biceps like Ronnie Coleman because I don't have those genetics. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that's for, for a lot of coaches, they, they jump on that. And like we have guys going to Olympic weightlifting seminars in two weeks uh, for, for Irish weightlifting. Uh, we've coaches going up to me, uh, do a, a seminar with Dan John this weekend. That I was like, you'll get more from those three hours of listening to Dan John say things than coming back to me and going, this is how we have to snatch. And I'm like, no, no, that's not how, that's how you might want to snatch, but that's not how you actually can. And like understanding that it's, as you said, like you go to a, a cloak off or you go to any sort of seminar where the guy lifts for two hours to impress you, you're not really learning. You'll, there will be a takeaway, there always is, but the bigger takeaway is learning how to work with your clients, I think a little bit more and how to invest your, expertise in the individual client rather than trying to impress them with over programming and high skill and trying to uh, sex it up to give them what Instagram thinks you should be doing uh, along those lines. But you did mention OPEX and I it's going to obviously bring us to our last question. You and uh, yourself and Keegan Martin uh, developed the strength program, the new strength program for OPEX. Um, and they, they never, they, they didn't have one before, did they? Did they have one and then you redeveloped it or did you create this brand new from you? And obviously how come that, how did that come about that you guys are now, you created that for the OPEX uh, system? Yeah. So, um, first of all, OPEX didn't have a specific strength program, although they did have strength as part of their overarching coach's qualification which is called the ccp called opex gain yeah so strength is very important as we know so it was absolutely an integral part of what they were teaching but they didn't have anything specific where we identified what a life cycle of strength is you know because what we want to do is say where are you right now where do you enter this life cycle and how do we progress you from there how to assess those type of things and how to build people forwards in terms of purely looking at strength and not looking at other things like maximal aerobic potential and things like that. So uh, we came into that basically through the connection, I would say, with Brand X would be one way. Another way would just be having built up some uh, credentials via doing hundreds of seminars all over the world. Um, so OPEX are one of the owners of the Brand X method because the methods and the ideologies align very well. Um, this idea of developing people in what's the right and appropriate way. So they have the same message, the same intent. Um, so it was, it was via that connection that um, Keegan and I were talking with OPEX and, um, and then we went from there and meetings with James Fitzgerald and, and then developed the strength course over the last, uh, well, since the beginning of the year. And that came out on general sale two months ago, and it's doing very well. I've got very, very good feedback from that. Um, there's lots of coaches that have taken it and said, you know, that they, they understand better how to program strength and where to put clients in. Because like, you know, saying they're mentioning the snatch. I mean, it's fine to go and 
uh, learn how to teach the snatch better. But the thing is, should anyone be doing the snatch? I mean, someone at some point has said the snatch is functional, but what's functional is actually what the client can express. If they can't express it, it doesn't have any function for them. So the snatch, therefore, is actually not functional for most people. So it's trying to educate that to people. It's like, what really is functional training? What is functional strength? Yeah. And how can we use strength uh, to get people healthier and have greater longevity through training? Because like, like you've said, their performance is one thing. Now, there are other strength courses out there, but those strength courses are just talking about how do I make someone maximally strong? I don't care about making people maximally strong. I care about people being healthy and using strength as a way to mitigate the aging process. Yes. Yeah. So that, that was how that all came about. Basically, OPEX and Keegan and myself all talk the same language, which is saying, well, you know, sorry, but general templates for these people is completely preposterous. You know, if you've got 150 members in your gym who have 150 different training ages, 150 different um, current uh, contraction expression abilities, the idea that they're all doing the same program is a bit crazy. So it was like trying to say, how, how can we get this to the most simple way that's easy for coaches to understand that they will be able to actually implement? Because yeah. if it's not implementable, then it's pointless. Yeah, well, that's, yeah, that's it. And then would that be, because uh, I know uh, OPEX has like, obviously the CCP program is quite uh, extensive. Can people, if you're signing up, can you just do your strengths for CCP? Yep. Or is it part of like, obviously you sign up, you sign up to everything or so if someone just wanted to dial in with what you and Keegan and OPEX created, they could just go and do the strength aspect. Yes, that's absolutely okay. right. So and I'm not OPEX. knocking and I, I've done the, I've done the general, the first, the CCP program years ago um, with James, when he came to Ireland, it was uh, like, it was mind blowing uh, two days came in thinking I knew and then walked out. Knowing I knew nothing. Um, so. I have that every time I talk to that guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I've had, I've had it with most coaches. When you when you taught us the deadlift seminars and squat seminars, then when you came back and redid it, it was, again, it was still like, oh, oh, and it was that that type of moment. So like, it is like it's a phenomenal course, and it's it's amazing kind of what you guys. I've been able to do there in what like obviously developing the you're like developing a strength program to help more people as you said to live a better quality of life more so than trying to be the strongest man because you're not trying to train the powerlifting champion in the world no and and then like you've said yeah sorry is that is that yeah the, the strength course can be taken as a standalone course yeah so opex are are, are kind of going uh, we've got the ccp which is the flagship course which is i think coming out with its third iteration very soon so it's yeah. always improving itself which is great to see um but these individual courses are also on their own so we have a uh, principles of program design which is a standalone course coaches can take learn how to how to write better programs and talking about this assessment and consultation type thing and then we've got programming strength which is our course and coming out soon, there's going to be programming movement, which is going to be like, again, helping with assessment. Yeah. If a client can't do this and this and this, should they be doing this movement? So yeah. it's really useful for that. So yeah, there's going to be a bunch of standalone courses, which um, will not replace the CCP because CCP is super in-depth. Yeah. And it takes probably most people about a year to complete and has to have... Um, client case studies submitted for James to review. So 
it's really the flagship in the sense that you have to show that you can actually coach this thing. Yes. Um, whereas these mini courses are kind of standalone courses, um, although you will get a qualification from that, which would be OPEX Strength Expert. Okay, okay, so that's good. Uh, and what I'll do in the show notes below, guys, if you're listening, we'll put the links to that if you're interested even checking it out. Uh, and it definitely would be advised to if you're going to work with guys, uh, athletes, or even just the general population to definitely um, uh, check it out and maybe possibly do it if you if it's like something that you're really keen on. Um, Kevin, uh, before we wrap things up, are you... Traveling seminars. No, no, no. I mean, we uh, we just did the first live program design seminar here in uh, OPEX HQ, okay. um, which went really well. So I'm focusing on that right now. Um, I think that in the past, as you know, like I, I've been out and trained in gyms and conducted hundreds of seminars. I think for me, um, I want to focus on coaching coaches more because. You know, if I go to the gym, sure, maybe two or three coaches are there, but we got 20 clients. Yeah. I can make a bigger impact if I focus only on coaches and spread knowledge that way. Yes. Because clients just want to lift it and have fun. Yes. And so, so right now, I'm not doing any of my own seminars because I'm focusing just on coaches development, coaches yeah. education. But um, hopefully, again, in the future, I'll be doing some workshops, yeah. Oh, super, super. So, guys, that is uh, our podcast, episode nine, with Kevin Don. Uh, again, you can check out all our old podcasts with him. It, he, the man has a wealth of knowledge. Confuses me every time, time with some of his words, but I'm yeah. working on it. I'm always learning. Um, and you go, uh, I like you can find Kevin on Instagram. Um, he's always good for uh, a, a bit of a rant or two, which is always entertaining. And yeah. But uh, Kevin, I'd like to thank you for, again for being on our show. Uh, I hope to see you soon. Uh, either I will we'll leave this country or maybe you'll come back my way. Um, and guys, don't forget to like and subscribe on Podbean, uh, YouTube and Spotify. We are on all three. Check us out. Leave us a nice comment. And if you have any questions, please put them below and we'll get to answer them. And we are out. You're listening to the Live, Lift, Play podcast.